Beyond the Wrench with Jay Ganinen from Wrenchway. Welcome back to another edition of Beyond the Wrench. I am your host, Jay Ganinen. Before we get started, if you've enjoyed listening to Beyond the Wrench, be sure to rate and review this podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We want to thank you for listening and truly appreciate your support. We really, really appreciate your support. It's, uh, I, I've mentioned this in past podcasts, but without it, it wouldn't be worth doing the podcast. So we really appreciate everybody out there that listens and, and comments and, and dives to everything we do. So appreciate that. Today, I have with me Janet Smale, who is the executive director for the Hourglass Foundation. And I think as we talk through what the Hourglass Foundation is, you'll be kind of fascinated by what they're doing. They're doing some great things for our industry, and I'm excited to talk with Janet today. How are you today, Janet? I am doing well. And yourself? I'm doing good, if I can talk. I, I was trying to go through the intro and, and ask how you were doing, and I, I kind of botched that a little bit, so I apologize for that. <laughs> but I, I, I am excited about our conversation today because what you're doing is very unique out there, and I think it is something that brings more awareness to our industry, brings more people into the industry, and it'll be a lot of fun to talk about the Hourglass Foundation as a whole. But before we do that, I want to learn a little bit about you and, and how you got to this point in your career and, and what is exactly it is that you do? Well, it's my career. It's been kind of a crazy journey. I'm formally trained as a medical assistant. So how I got into autos is very, it's, it's interesting, but I then got involved in the medical side, like insurance, the medical side of insurance, the insurance side of medical, I'm sorry. And then, sure. um, then I went into just normal property casualty risk management type of things. And I was for a time at Wendy's International in their risk department. And I handled all of their property casualty auto crime claims. And that wow. got me really connected into autos. And then from there, I went into the fleet department at Wendy's. And at the time, we had a f fleet of 1,200 company cars nationwide and kind of got the fleet bug, which I can remember when I was interviewed for that position, Helene came in, my boss, she just said to me, Janet, if you like cars, you're going to just do great. If you don't, this is going to just not be it for you. And she was so right. I've always loved cars, even as a young kid. And, but it's, you get that bug and and when I started in fleet, I actually ordered the vehicles for all of our drivers and got to understand the purchasing side of what goes into ordering a car and then, you know, progressed into all the other avenues to run a, to run a fleet for a corporation and got involved. Helene, my boss, again, she was at one time president of AFLA, which is the Auto Fleet Lease Association. And so I started helping her with some things on that. But anyway, so it's been an interesting journey starting out in medical, ending up in fleet. Love the fleet world. The best people in the world to work for. Very encouraging, very mentoring group of people that want to see you succeed. But then I entered into Flexco. And Flexco was an opportunity for me to work from home and kind of be able 
to have best of both worlds, be a mom and work from home at the same time. And it was very appealing to me at that at that point in my life. And with Ron Shoemaker, the owner, we, we built Flexco, which is a corporate vehicle remarketing company. And so all of that... Ron felt the same way I did, and Chad, his son, who now runs the company, felt the same way, and that is, you know, the auto industry has been so good with to us. It's blessed us in so many ways, and how can we give back? So we decided that we wanted to start a nonprofit, and the Hourglass Foundation came into existence. We are a 501c3, and we began all of that back in 2016. Our first year of giving was actually in 2020. So we are supporting students who want to get into auto tech or skilled trades to help fill the gap in those areas because the gap is so huge. It's It's crazy, right? It's so crazy. And it's going to take so many people with the same vision to get there. But What we do is we fundraise and also take in monetary donations as well as vehicle donations. Vehicle donations works well because Flexco is a remarketing company and knows all the ins and outs of that world. And we can turn those autos into scholarship dollars. And we work with non, we work with community colleges and trade schools. We're not about the four year path. We're about the, a different path. And so we have some scholarships set up directly at community colleges or trade schools across the country. And then we also have what we call a direct scholarship where students can actually go to our website and complete the the various applications that we have available there because we have multiple scholarships. We have the More Than One Path Scholarship, which is an academic scholarship. We have a tool scholarship that is matched by Snap-on Tools. We have two scholarships for women. One's called Women in Auto Tech, and the other one is Women Rock Trades. And this will be our first year for doing that. And I just looked the other day, and I was really excited. I mean, I couldn't believe the amount of applications that are in there. So it made me really happy All right, trying to get women into the field. And then we have a, a memory scholarship for a fleet colleague, Dick Malcolm, who was with State Farm Insurance. And Every year we award a scholarship in his honor to at his alma mater in Illinois. So All right. I, I love that by the way. I love the in in memory type of scholarship. I, I'm a very sentimental person. And I think you know, <laughs> yeah. kind of paying it forward for the people that did for us, right? That did some great things for us, I think is just such a such a cool idea. And all of the things that you talked about there are really impactful. I mean, they're, they're really, really good things. Now, I, I want to talk more about the Hourglass Foundation, but I do want to ask first what what your experience was with Wendy's, right? So I, I'm kind of going back <laughs> and I'm going to dissect it, your past here a little bit. But when when you got into it and you went to the fleet side, were you even aware that Wendy's had a fleet? I was aware they had a fleet because I handled the vehicle claims when Got I was it. in when I was in risk management. I knew that I didn't know all of the details about it. I just knew when they got in an accident, I was the person that they called. <laughs> You know, fix my car. So, but then when I did get to the fleet side, I just found all of it fascinating. I mean, there's it, 
it encompasses so many things, you know, as I said, the purchasing, the, the, the business itself. And you sit there and you think, wow, I didn't realize it's such a niche. It's such a niche fleet that you don't realize how many corporations out there have a fleet of cars and what all's involved to keep those drivers on the road, active, producing for their company and, and us keeping them safe and all the other little things that go into it. And I just, I just gravitated to it. It was, it was fun. It takes a special person. And I, I was in corporate America at one point over the course of my career and we had fleet vehicles. I had a, a truck that I was running all throughout the Midwest. Right. And I think how much I, you know, when, when you talked about your responsibility there, I think back to how much I depended a, a similar role that was in our company to, to keep us in line and whether it was aligning the right maintenance program or like it was going, you know, it just, there were so many questions over the course of my career there that we had asked that 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 fleet manager type of person that we would have been lost without. I mean, it, you guys really are have an important role when it comes to fleet fleets for sure. And you know, and at that time, it was Wendy's was extremely unique because most of the services were all done in house, like your license and title, all done in house. The on the maintenance or repairs, they all had to call in to to us to get authorization for those repairs. Versus having a leasing company, though you had an eight hundred number and the driver calls it and gets to the department that they need. Wendy's was hands on, and and it was you know. Quite an education. It, ser- it has served me well. I bet. That's that's incredible. And then when you parlayed that into the the, the next piece of your career, it, it it probably seemed pretty second nature to you at that point, right? Like you you already had a, a pretty darn good background on the fleet side going to your next role. Right. So then when I got into remarketing, now I'm on the other side of the desk. And that was an education. You know all the secrets. You know, I, I, you know, I think I, I learned a lot about the remarketing side because I didn't really know a lot about the remarketing side because we used various wholesalers and other dealerships and auctions to dispose of vehicles when they aged out. So it was an education, but then that's when the, when it really sparked for me. I mean, there's nothing better than remarketing. (laughs) I mean, if you love the stock market, you love remarketing. It's, it's interesting and it's, it's fun to watch, you know, when a car goes across the block and you think it's going to do this, but then all of a sudden it just goes well beyond that. And you're like, wow. I mean, it's just, it's just exciting. It's just exciting. Ever have it go the other way? Oh yeah. Yeah. You have to that eat part's those. not as exciting. No, yeah, yeah. you just have to <laughs> gulp and go on. <laughs> have you heard of Runtway School Connect? Runtway School Connect is a free tool that makes it easier for schools to connect with local shops and dealerships and get the resources they need to attract students to technician programs and educate them about the industry. Schools can post a request for donations and resources from shops, and shops can post resources they have available to schools in their area. Shops and schools can visit Runtway.com to contact us and learn more. Link is in the show notes. 
All right. So let's get to the Hourglass Foundation and, and dig into this a little bit because it is, you know, you, you kind of gave us the Cliff Notes version to start off with and, and diving into it and, and really talking about how we fund these scholarships because I think it, it's important to understand, you know, how the process works because you're getting money in the hands of people that, that can really use it to further their education in the trades, which I, as you mentioned, is vitally important at this point. So how does this process start? How do, how, do, how do you fund these scholarships? So we have some great partners out there. We have we have a great partnership with Geotab, with ServNet Auction Group, with TPC Management. They are wonderful partners spreading the word about us, but also um, contributing to our, schol- our scholarship fund and we are forever appreciative of them, but we'd like to grow, you know, we'd like to grow that base like other corporations to join on the bandwagon or even OEMs because it isn't, it, it's such an issue that affects everybody. It isn't just a dealership. It isn't just a repair shop. It's, it trickles all the way down to the consumer because if you can't find, if you can't hire, then you're working with less people or you're paying higher dollar to get somebody in. And where does that get passed on to? It gets passed on to the consumer. So we need to, we would love, you know, more OEMs to get involved because it, it's, it's an everybody issue. It really is. And I, I think the unique part about some of the scholarships as you, as you talk about them, you know, it's not, we live in our world where technician, the technician shortage is evident. Like we hear about it every day. We talk about it every day. There's a pain point, but we might live in our own lane a little bit. When, when you look at the other skilled trades as well, there's a, a desperate need for plumbers, electricians, you know, you name it, contractors, yep. whatever it is, there's a desperate need for all of these folks. And What's happening, I actually just had a, a really nice conversation with an automotive instructor down in Alabama last night over the phone, and I was ch- chatting with him about it, and he said, Jay, here's the problem with the automotive industry is that they come in offering very low-paying, entry-level jobs mm-hmm. that are tough to tough to sell when you've got that journeyman or that more union type of plumber or electrician that comes in and says, hey, you're going to start off at whatever it is, $15, $18 an hour. And then they have a very structured plan that's going to lay out how you move through your career. In a lot of ways, we don't do a good job of that in our industry of being able to kind of paint that picture up front. And so when we go into these conversations and we're trying to attract more people into our industry, we have to understand that we're not the only one that's desperate for people. There are a lot of different skilled trades that are looking for people, right. and it's it's causing an extra pain point on our end. Right. That's exactly true. Yeah. So I, I think it's that that part is fascinating. But then when we look to to funding or to, to these scholarships in general, when you're, you're talking about these individual scholarships, can you talk to me about are, are all of them kind of widely spread throughout the trades? Is it most focused on automotive or where do these scholarships go to? I would say we're more, we're more focused on automotive. We do provide scholarships for skilled trades like HVAC and electric, electrical and plumbing. But most of our scholarships do go for the auto tech side. And 
they're nationwide. I mean, we, we're not in every, we haven't helped kids in every state, but we're working on it. We, but we support community colleges across the country and also trades. In fact, I think there's a trade school in Minnesota. It's called New, oh shoot, I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> that's, that's okay. So, that's bad, but they do a phenomenal job and their program for their kids is all paid for through a vehicle donation program they have. And so no, no student even pays for tuition, but you need tools. And that's kind of where we come in when we support, we support them. But so vehicle donation is really huge. So, you know, 10 years ago, there weren't, nonprofits weren't involved in vehicle donation like they are now, but every nonprofit now has a vehicle donation segment. So it's a highly competitive segment, but we're trying to, you know, get more interest in vehicle donation to us so we can support scholarships. So through our corporate donations, vehicle donations, and just individuals' monetary donations, that's how we fund our scholarships. And we hope to look down the road, like hopefully towards the end of this year, looking into grants and things like that to kind of help us. But yeah, that's that's how we fund well, that's 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 very interesting. I think it's a good way to raise the funds that you need. Are you so when you're working with your partners, are you getting some of? Is it like kind of wholesale? Maybe cars that were going to go toward wholesale, wholesale that you end up getting donated to you, and then turn around and and get them auctioned off for money, or how does that work? Exactly. I think some of them come from individuals who have heard about us. Um, so that's an individual vehicle donation. But then there are corporations or that have fleets that have heard of us through the grapevine. And so they will donate. Although with the chip shortage, that's been very, very difficult. It's challenging. That's a it's challenge challenging none of us could have. Uh, yeah. They're holding, they have to hold on to those vehicles. So, but hopefully that Hopefully 23 is a better year. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully we catch up on the chip shortage in general. Do you, so is the process similar to what you would do in your normal day-to-day job where you're, you know, you're sending it across the auction block, but it's just for a different cause like that, that money's then earmarked toward the scholarship? Right. So it's, the vehicle is, you know, taken to auction and it's got a full condition report. So we know what's going on with the vehicle and we set the floor, it goes through goes through the sale and then the proceeds come to Flexco because they are the dealer. And then Flexco donates those funds to the Hourglass Foundation. That's interesting. And, and so when you're, when you're looking to give away these scholarships and, and they're primarily through community colleges, is there parameters around what type of school can can get access to the scholarships, or how, how do you get the word out? How do you figure out which yes. schools can can qualify for that? How, how does all of that work? That's those are that's a great question. So we began, you know, when you when you fundraise, you want to protect those dollars, and you want to make sure that they're being designated for correct programs. So we got in a conversation with the ASE Education Foundation, who puts schools through the paces in order to be ASE accredited. And through that, we learned of the schools that they have accredited 
So we had a real comfort knowing that they've been through the paces. We could trust putting our dollars there for their for that particular school students. So that is how we get our school. And then it became conversations just working with a lot of the foundations at those community colleges, explaining what we wanted to do. And then from there, we set up our scholarship funds. And that works well. But as I said, we also have direct scholarships that a student, if they hear of, they can just go onto our website and submit an application. And then it will go through the review process in, I think, latter March through our, re- our scholarship review committee. And then we make it, the announcements. That's got to be a challenge. I'm guessing being able to <laughs> read through all of the applications and I, I, I'm, I guess, interested in learning uh, what is the qualification process? How does how does somebody qualify, or why would one student win it over another student? Or it, it, mm, I've, yeah. I've gone through this. It is it's challenging. We run just in my hometown. We run a car show, and we give away one scholarship. It's not a big scholarship, right? Like five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks to a local community college to go into the trades, and we got a really fair number of applications and it was really challenging to come up and it's just a small car show, right? It's not like what you guys are doing. (laughs) It's like just a small car show, but it was really challenging to read through and see that there were a bunch of deserving candidates, but we had to choose one because we're, you know, a small car show. So I'm interested if you run in, do you run into kind of some of those same scenarios where it's a challenge on picking who? I, I just love our applicants and our students. They're amazing people. And I wish we could just give every single one of them something. That's the but, hard part. But it doesn't work that way. So we set up like a grid and we break each section down of what of our qualifications. So for us, we're looking for a student with a 2.5 GPA or higher. You submit your transcript you complete the application, and then you do an essay, and it's there where they can shine is in that essay. Yeah. And, and then we also look at, you know, volunteerism. You know, are you, do you give back to your community and that kind of thing? But that always can't be a deciding factor because a lot of students have to work two and three jobs just to go to school. And they don't have time for that. So they can submit that if they want. But the essay is the integral part. So each part of our qualifications then is graded on a scale of one to five, with five being the highest. And then everybody puts in grades. We have a committee and everybody reads them and they put in the number and then they're, they're tallied. And, you know, whoever has the highest score, that's our winner. Really? And and so how many, is it one scholarship per school or you were talking about people can can apply directly, but how how do you dictate how many scholarships maybe a certain uh, tech school get? A lot of it happens to be on the strength of their program. So we look at their program and like, for example, we support Wake Tech down in North Carolina they, sure. and also WyoTech out in Wyoming. They're highly committed to Autotech. Both have built new facilities that can house more students to put them through the program. And so we definitely like to support schools like that. But it's it's based on the strength of their program. Um, 
Arapahoe Community College in Colorado is another great yep. one. But we look at the strength of the program and then we just put everything through a grade. We actually do two reviews. So everybody gets the, gets the scholarship packets and then does their score. And then the highest five scores of those scholarships, we then go in and we re-review and then we re regrade and then do it that way. So do you start off with a, you go through kind of your fundraising season and you've got, you know, you've auctioned off this amount of cars, you have this amount of money, and then you're you're breaking it down into scholarship categories. Is it then that's dictating how many scholarships you can give out, I assume? Exactly. What what we fundraise dictates what we what we can give. Our tool scholarship is a two thousand dollars scholarship, and as I mentioned, Snap On matches it, so it becomes four thousand for a student. That is great. Uh, it's so great because tools are, I think, at times more expensive than the tuition in order mm-hmm. to go through the program. So you know that is really helpful to students, and so we look at what we've raised. We look at our partners that we have, and we. We'll try to do one scholarship at all of those schools. Some schools we might do two. But then we're also looking for new schools to support. And that's when we'll get back in with the ASE Education Foundation to find additional schools to help. How do you come up with criteria for a scholarship? And I know there's there's probably a number of listeners that have, have developed a scholarship. And I know when we did our small scholarship, it was kind of awkward because you're not not in the sense that you that you don't know what to ask for. It's more so like how do you select that right GPA? How do you select that you know right. that you know? Do you put GPA in as a qualifier? Like I I know when we had our small discussions, it was more of like p- different people had different ideas on what that what that should be, but. It's one of those kind of almost unnatural things that you, you don't think about where you're like, I, all right, I got to put together this scholarship and I'm not sure what those parameters should be. And I know <laughs> in my experience, the schools, you know, I'd ask the school for, for guidance. And they're like, I don't know, you can do whatever you want. Right. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought there were some general guidelines of what yeah. we needed to do for a scholarship. Like, nope, it's, it's your money. You, you decide who gets it. So... Through research and then also really drilling down into the basics of, okay, why are we doing this? Who is it we're really trying to help? And that really led us to what the criteria should be. You know, we're not looking for the, the 3.0, 3.5 student who might be interested in the four-year path. We're trying to create a generous pool for, for applicants, because when you, when you narrow it down, when you say, oh, I only want a 3.8 and you have to have this and you have to have that, you know, and how many applications did you get? Maybe two, you know, it's, so our whole goal is, is to help students, you know, first gen and underrepresented students. And we wanted to create criteria that could do that. And so we came up through various committees that we had to, and conversations that we thought 2.5 was a really good good place 
to include more students. You know, I can remember when my son was in high school and it came time for scholarship time and whatnot. You know, a lot of a lot of kids got closed out of scholarships because they might not, you know, they might not fit those unrealistic criteria. So we didn't want to do that. We wanted to be really open and be able to help more kids. So that's how we came up with our GPA. And then, you know, the rest of it is we're wanting the love of automotive and what you can do with it to leap across that page in that essay. And there are some that are just, some of those essays, they just, whew, they're, they're amazing. And, and some of these students, even in their essays saying, you know, if I get this scholarship, that would be a blessing in my life. And I know that I will then give this back once it's, I get established in my career to someone else. Wow. You know, those kinds of kids. That's impactful. That's, you want, you just, who wouldn't want to help them? Right. Do you have maybe a favorite story that you've heard in essays over the years or, or maybe a, a couple good stories of, of backgrounds oh. that really like hit home with you? Well, one in particular, and she, she's just a phenomenal kid. She hated school just absolutely hated school, eventually went to at-home, you know, like distant learning kind of education for high school, and she did okay. She didn't really know what she wanted to do with her life. She knew she had to do something, and she was always tinkering around with her, her dad and her uncles on cars. And they said to her, you know, you're so good at this. Have you ever thought of that? And she's like, no, I didn't. So she was a very shy person and whatnot, and she went ahead and decided she would try a semester at a community college, and she did, and she did really well, and her instructor could see it in her, and she has just bloomed like gangbusters, and the because of the letter I also got from her instructor of how this has just changed her as a person, but just how talented oh. she is as well. So I was really glad we got well, to and help I think her. That, you know, you, you pointed to a couple of scholarships where it's primarily female, you know, it, or they're, they're awarded to a female. And we always look at the percentage of females in technician roles. And it's very underrepresented as, as you had yeah. kind of mentioned before. And to hear a story like that is so cool because, you know, maybe we, you're not going to go to 10% of the te technician population overnight. You're not going to go to 20% of technician no. population overnight. But the more exposure we get to young females, especially as our industry changes and, and really probably plays into a female's favor a bit more, I think it's really important we get exposure to these young females to show them that, hey, you know what, there are some excellent opportunities in this business. There are, because as you know, with all the people that you've spoken with regarding auto tech and what it is and the shortage and all of that, you know, auto tech today isn't what, you know, auto tech was when for your grandfather, your great grandfather. I mean, today it's really being an IT specialist. You know, cars are literally a computer on wheels and it's that 
problem solving. It's, it's critical thinking. It's, there's so many pieces to being involved in auto tech. And, you know, I think women will do very good if they would just, if they give it, you know, if they look into it and give it a chance because they, they can balance a lot of plates. They're, they're multitaskers. And I just, yeah, I was really excited. I, I got in yesterday and looked at our application portal and there were like, I think close to like nine applications for eight, for the two women scholarships. So, so that was 18 women who are applying. And I was like, yay, that's great. Well, I don't think people understand how much that could sway somebody's decision too, right? If, if they're looking at different programs and what they want to do next in their life, you know, we work with a lot of high schools and that's one of the things that we talk to a lot of high schools about is being able to show or tell stories of females in the industry. And for a long time, we did not have the people, the the females in the industry to tell the stories, right? There just wasn't any. And so now we're starting to see these successes. We're starting to see more females enter the industry. We're seeing the industry become more female friendly. You know, I think we've, we've done some round tables for Wrenchway where, you know, there's been some obvious things when we sat back and listened, you know, I, I, we did a round table once and this young lady said, you know, what would make me more comfortable is if dealerships had or shops in general had maybe a female locker room. We've got a male mm-hmm. locker room, but there's nowhere for a female to go or a, a, a restroom for females or whatever it is or yeah. uniforms that fit them correctly. It, it, there's just so many opportunities for, for our industry to make this a more inclusive industry to females and having scholarships out there for somebody to go to a, a tech school, a, a young female to go to a tech school, I think is very influential of what their their life decision might be of what, you know, what they want to pick to, to go to work in. So I, I think the visibility that you're providing with the Hourglass Foundation to careers that are out there opens up an entirely different segment of, of potential technicians that we, we frankly haven't done a very good job at of in, right. in years past. I agree with you on that. And those are simple things to fix when you think about a uniform or a ladies room or, you know, female locker room. Yeah, those are easy things to fix. So talk to me a little bit more about the the tool scholarship. So it's $2,000 and then Snap-on matches it with an additional $2,000. Is that is it the same parameters for that as it would be for for an education type scholarship or is it is there any variance in that or it, how do you dictate who goes you know what scholarship goes to who? Well, they specifically apply for the tool scholarship on our website. Sure. And the criteria is as far as GPA and all of that is the same. And I think we might alter the essay question a little bit more as to drill in as to what a tool scholarship would do for them. And that's, that's the, it's not a big difference between the two, but it's, they apply for the actual tool scholarship. They click that button when they're applying. Any advice to somebody writing an essay that young student that's writing an essay of, of what they should be including. And you kind of touched on that before, but again, going back to awkward things we have to do throughout our life, sometimes writing an essay about our background isn't the most comfortable thing in the world to do. No. So I'm, I'm 
interested to know if there's any any type of advice you'd give to somebody, you know, that young student that's out there trying to put something together right now. You can, when you read, when at least when I read essays, I can, a student's words, as I said, can leap off the page and, and affect you. And the more honest and the more personal that essay is, the more you come across letting us, the reviewer, get to know you versus just saying, I did this, I did that, I did this. Those are all great things that you made those accomplishments, but we need to get to know you. So just let it flow in that essay. That would be my biggest, my biggest suggestion. I think the hardest part is say you're, you're applying and maybe you've got a few friends that are also applying and you all have similar backgrounds and you're trying to distinguish the difference between, you know, I, the way that I would think about it if I was a student is, okay, Tommy has this pretty similar, you know, we grew up in the same neighborhood and has this pretty similar background. And so how do I write that this would be very beneficial to me without just plainly putting this would be very impactful to me, <laughs> you, you know, like actually, <laughs> actually being able to describe, like not just saying, yes, I'd love to get money because I like tools, but like actually <laughs> showing the impact that it would have with you. Right. Because so many young right. people, when they come out, that's a huge barrier to entry in our industry are the cost of tools associated up front. But without wordsmithing it, it can come across of like, yeah, of, Obviously, tools would be very impactful to me. So, I, trying to trying to be gentle around that. So it's it's more of, you know, this is obviously a, a huge impact in my life because four thousand dollars of tools can get me in the door to to get started. Right. And I, I just think the wording is so important for that student when they when they think about putting something like this together. It's all about talking in first person. It's all about connecting with that reader. I mean, even think about it from our own perspectives when we go to maybe donate to a charity. You know, we're looking at something in their mission that resonates with our heart. And it's really the same thing in scholarship essay writing. So we're trying to understand why you want to be in auto tech what drew you to it, and we're looking for your narrative, but you revealing um, a very personal story that gets that could be full of emotion to help people understand what your journey's been so far, what obstacles that you have faced, and how did you how did you get through them? I mean, all of those things really resonate in a, in an essay. And I think so many people try to hide that and rather right. than hiding it, embrace it, you know, your start. And I, th- I think especially for young people, if they're embarrassed by their background or they, they don't feel comfortable being able to put that out there, it is so important for them to tell their story. And everybody's got fascinating stories. We see successful people every day that had different origins of where they started off at and have made it, you know, made a very successful life for themselves And so, I, you know, I I think for me, you hit it on the head there in terms of 
don't hide that. Like share right. that story, tell your story because that that is really impactful. And someday when you're super successful, you'll be able to look back at that and say, hey, you know what? I, I didn't start with much, but man, I worked my, my tail off and, and really made some waves in this industry. Yeah. And there's also so many places that you can go in the industry. You know, you may start out as an auto tech, but that doesn't mean that's where your career will end. I mean, over time, it, it could involve evolve into so many other avenues, you know, whether you get involved in the fleet world or, or working for an OEM. I mean, there's all, I mean, it's endless what you can do with an automotive background. And that's another thing I'd really like to convey to a student who's applying for a scholarship is, you know, all of us, you know, we, we began one place in our career, but that's not where we end. And it's all an evolution. And, uh, the more you know about automotive, you know, oh, the places you can go, for sure. Oh, the opportunities in this industry. I talk about that a lot. I, I started off as a terrible technician. I went to tech school and <laughs> came back and, <laughs> and it was not great at working on cars. But the beauty in it, and, and I think this is good advice for anybody that listens, is how impactful it is to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are so that you can really play it into your hand, right? And my strength was not was not mechanical in nature. It was definitely more of interacting with people, but it's a humbling experience to go through. The key thing to understand is if you've got that base level of knowledge, you've got maybe some, some technical background right. and have an understanding, that's going to help you so much over the course of your career because it, you know, for me as a people person and, and talking with people, I can always relate to that, right? I can always re- relate to what my my path from a technical standpoint right. was and and maybe talk at their level, even though that's not, you know, when I was going to tech school, being a co-founder of Wrenchway was not what I had envisioned my <laughs> my my life path going down, right? Yep. But it it it's because of that technical education that I had to begin with that right. it opened paths for me that I never would have dreamed of. It's true. It's like we have a our board, and one of our board members, Jeff Hill, he's an amazing guy. He started out as a mechanic, and he now works for Black & Veatch out in Kansas, big corporation, and he has worked with his automotive knowledge. He has worked his way to the point where he now has a mega million dollar budget that he's responsible for, and tons of people he's responsible for. So that beginning just blossomed for him and where it's taken him. So he's, he is amazing. I think that's, that's a really key point too. You know, as we're trying to draw people to these scholarships and, and have them interested in this path or the, you know, this, this career path in life, is being able to tell those stories of, of people that have come before them, have gone the trade school route and have been wildly successful, right? I think there's there are so many opportunities to tell those stories, not only in the automotive and diesel worlds, but you know, I, I look at my personal friends. I've got friends that are lawyers and doctors, but I've also got friends that I would say are equally as successful that are plumbers, electricians, and, exactly. and small business owners, right? And exactly. I, I, we don't hear about that as much, or the, the narrative is maybe a right. little different behind that. And it's it's kind of a shame because there there are just so many good opportunities in the trades. Oh, 
so many opportunities and and I think we need to we need to change how we talk about them how we talk about trades because there is <laughs> there, there is so much that goes into all of those other careers you know whether it's plumbing electrical HVAC auto tech I mean as I as you know I said it's and as become we, as we become more and more digital it affects every industry which means you know, more and more training. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's needed. It it absolutely is needed. Thanks for listening to beyond the wrench. We'd like to take a minute to talk about this week's sponsor, Jasper engines and transmissions. Okay. Your customer's engine or transmission has failed, but now is not the time for them to trade in their vehicle. Not without a working engine or transmission. Besides, would they have kept their vehicle another three to five years if their engine or transmission had not let them down? If you answered yes, then Jasper Engines and Transmissions is your choice to give your customer vehicles new life and many thousands of miles of enjoyable driving performance. When considering the high cost of a new or newer used vehicle, there's a pretty good case to be made for replacing a drivetrain component that has failed or is delivering poor performance. Rather than trading in their car, truck, van, or SUV, install a quality remanufactured Jasper product for less than your customer would have to invest in a new vehicle or a newer used vehicle. Check out their website at jasperengines.com to learn more about the money-saving value of Jasper. I want to talk about the future of the trades or in automotive. We obviously are at a fairly substantial shortage of people. Everybody's fighting for these same people, not only in our industry, but the other industries. How do I think what you're doing is helping kind of gain ground on that. But I'm interested to to talk to you a little bit about the future of this, right? The, the future of the Hourglass Foundation, the future of mm-hmm. the automotive business as a whole. Do you see opportunity for us to, to make strides towards shortening that gap? I sure hope so. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm a forever optimist. And I think other charitable groups like us out there who are focusing in auto tech, I think all of us can make a difference. Um, but it takes all of us to, you know, to, to get the dollars so we can help students. That's what it's all about. And it's also about getting into middle schools and talking to kids at that age level about other, other options. You know, maybe it's not all students want that four year path. And sometimes I think, we do them a disservice by just constantly pushing that four-year path and that, and rather than listening to the student and what is good for them. So I think we need to get into schools and start talking about professions in skilled trades and auto tech to open their eyes. And we also need to start talking to guidance counselors to really include that in their conversations with our young people because it isn't just that four-year path. It just isn't. Well, and your, your point about touching the middle school age people is, I think, really important because what high schools are doing right now, and, and for those of you that haven't been in a high school lately, I think this has probably changed a lot over the years, but 
they're getting a lot more into career pathing. They're getting a lot more into, you know, selecting as an eighth grader what career path or what class path that you're going to have through your high school career. And it's getting a little bit more pointed. And this is something that, you know, with, with, with our platform that is so important to us is that we get industry support for these schools so that the programs don't go away. Because what happens is if a program goes away and they're selecting a, a program or a, a path when they're in eighth grade and there's not an automotive path there to choose, right? the chances that they're going to end up in our industry diminish greatly. greatly. It, it is, it's not, it's not like, you know, a couple percentage points. It is the, the chances that they, in ASE education foundation talks about this quite a bit where if they don't, if they don't have an interest or they don't, we don't get them in early, the chances that they actually come to our industry and stay in our industry are minimal. It, it is not right. a very, very likely at all. Right. You're right. It's, it all connects, <laughs> you know, I mean, students to, to go into those fields, but then, as you said, you know, also schools to have enough students to keep programs and yeah, so it all connects. It does. And I think it, it shows, you know, I think the initiative that your organization has is vital to to the health of our industry moving forward. And, you know, the growth of the Hourglass Foundation is, is important because that's one piece to what's going to, to help us make some gains on the shortage as a whole. I think it's unfair to put this all on one company or one organization's shoulders. And I think that's, right. you know, you hit on a very solid point there before where, it is important that we all kind of join hands and and partner up in this stuff and and try to right. figure out how we help impact young people and show them the opportunities that are that are in our industry. So I I really respect what it is that you guys are doing and and the way that you're growing this because there's there's a lot of kids out there that could use money and and maybe even we didn't even touch on this but the point that there's some kids that maybe they're going to struggle to get financial aid. They're going to struggle to get right. things that they need because of reasons that aren't past them. I know when I was going to get student aid, when I was coming out and going into tech school, my dad owned an automotive repair shop. Mm. And based on the way that it was formed, they took the shop's financial statement as his financial statement. And it was a real struggle. My brother went the four-year path. I went to the trade school. And it was a struggle for both of us and and my sister. I shouldn't leave her out, but it was a struggle <laughs> because they they viewed that as basically his income statement, right? And yeah. his personal income statement. And that was not the case for us mm -hmm. at all. So it made it a real challenge to get funding for our education. And I don't think we're alone. I think there's a lot of kids out there that really struggle to, to get funding. Oh, it, it's true. I mean, I know even when you know, we went through that, you know, for our son when he was going to college and whatnot. And you do the FAFSA and stuff like that and, and how and what the answers they come back with, what the type of school you can afford was not even in the ballpark. No, no. It was not even in the ballpark. No, but, it's out um, of left field. And you feel you already feel like you have all of these acronyms of different types of funding that you can get when you're, you know, when you're 17 years old and you're trying to fill out all this stuff and you're trying to get through all of this, you're like, I have no idea what I'm talking about right now. I'm just filling out these <laughs> applications because the guidance counselor told me to fill them out and, yeah. and hopefully I get funding because if I don't, I'm not going to school. It's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. 
But I was just going to say on, on another note, even though we're providing scholarships for students and, you know, we do our fundraising monetary vehicle donation, one of the things that we're kicking off this year is a portal on our website called the Tech Connection Portal. And I know a lot of auto tech students will have a job when they graduate, but not, not all of them will. So we kind of wanted to take it full circle and create this platform for them where they could submit their resume. And then we are working with corporations that are posting their jobs on our site so we can kind of do a match and get, get graduates, you know, moving in the right direction with the, with the company of their choice. And so we're very excited about that this year. That, that's very cool. And I think anything you can do to kind of point them in the right direction is a, a step forward. And I, I applaud you guys for that as well. How do people find you? Well, they can find us by going to our website, which is theourglassfoundation.org. Sometimes when you just put in Hourglass Foundation, you'll get makeup from Sephora. That's not us. Oh, a little different segment. A <laughs> little different segment. So just make sure it's theourglassfoundation.org. We have our scholarship criteria on that and all the various scholarships that you can can apply for, as well as other information about us, how to donate, and just background. Our, we have our timeline of when we began and how many scholarships that we've awarded. And through the end of 2022, we've donated over $60,000 in scholarships to students. So you can go to our website and follow that timeline as we continue to grow. Well, congratulations and and best of luck in the future. Thank You're you. doing some phenomenal things out there. And and as, I guess, a voice in the industry, I would say thank you for, for everything you're doing out there. It's incredible. Well, thanks so much for having us. That wraps up this week's episode of Beyond the Wrench. Be sure to tune in next week for another brand new episode. As a reminder, don't forget to rate and follow Beyond the Wrench on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps us get Beyond the Wrench in front of other fantastic shop owners, managers, technicians, and dealers just like you so we can continue to help improve, promote, and grow this amazing industry. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back next week.